We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast and welcome back to a new season. I have missed you guys terribly. No offence intended here, but I've missed Arsenal a hell of a lot more. The season kicks off pretty much tomorrow. Not really, not the season, but Arsenal playing football kicks off tomorrow with our friendly in Singapore. Looking forward to that. And um, I'm going to hand you over to uh, James, Paul and Elliot. They discuss the Pedacek signing, what we might do in the window and plenty more. Going to keep it short and sweet. Not very sweet, but definitely short. And uh, yeah, we will be back after the Singapore game to discuss all that goes on there. So enjoy the podcast and see you then. If you're having squad problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 33 problems, but a check ain't one. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. And we are going to be talking transfers. Oh, yes. It's going to be the most listened to pod of the summer, despite having no rumors in place, despite having very little to discuss, because we're going to talk about transfers. It's going to be listened to. Uh, I'm going to introduce my guests in a moment, but... If you're new to this podcast, we're going to be doing it after every match all season long, and all we ask in return is that you leave an honest uh, but preferably kind and uh, favorable rating for our podcast. I mean, if you want to give it one star, you certainly can. It's probably worth one star, but just as a charitable donation, you give us the five stars, you can write it off on your taxes. Um, You can do that at things like iTunes and stuff like that. There's some great reviews there. You can read them. Most of them talk about abusing me and my genitals, Um, but... That is a topic for another time. Right now, it is time to introduce my guests. It's been too long since I've spoken to them. The first is GoonerFanatic49 on Twitter, but in real life, his name is James. Hello, James. Hello, hello, hello. Good to speak to you again. And the man who is always doing something in his pants, but on Twitter, it is Poznan in my pants. His name is Paul. It's a delight to have him back. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Woohoo. Uh, as I'm sure you probably know by this point, the reason for my horrible uh, introduction is because Peter Cech is not only an Arsenal player, but he will be wearing the number 33 shirt this season. That's why the whole 33 problems, but a Cech ain't one. A goalkeeper. I should have said a goalkeeper ain't one. That would have made more sense. Anyway, um, let's dive in right away and get started just talking about the only transfer that that we've made, certainly incoming, and it's a big one. Uh, Peter Cech. First things first, James. Any surprise at all that we went for a keeper this summer? We'll get to check in a minute, but are you surprised that we went for a keeper? Did you feel we needed one? I'm not really surprised, to be honest. I mean, um, you know, going into that final, the two positions that we were questioning was 
striker and goalkeeper. Striker mostly because we just weren't sure whether Walcott, you know, was fit into the team given all the injuries and everything that had gone before. Um, and goalkeepers just because we were all questioning the quality of both goalkeepers we had. There's obviously been question marks over the maturity of Chesney. Um, people don't undoubt, don't doubt his potential and perhaps his quality, but you, you just not, we're not quite convinced as of yet that he can um, really bring in sort of top level performances week in, week out that you require at this stage um, for a team that's, you know, gunning for the top trophies. And Ospina, although statistically he's done very well, and I'm not really convinced he's necessarily hindered us many points over the season, but there's just been a general sense that, you know, given his height, um, just given some like shaky moments here and there, that he's not quite the level we require. I mean, he obviously was a keeper that we signed um, only a season ago, and some of us were wondering whether, you know, Wenger still had that ruthlessness about him. Would he be willing to let a keeper go that's only been in and around for one season, although he hasn't left yet? You know, this, the indications are, and I think many would predict that David Ospina will be the one on his way out. So, um, you know, I, some of us thought, well, had did Arsene have it in him? And you know, I think he's proved this. You know, he, he's he's willing to do what he what he needs if the right player comes available. And I mean, what a signing it is! I'm sure we'll come into the details of that. But 100, percent I think it's definitely the one the one glaring position where you felt there was really um, a lot of room for improvement. And um, what Czech brings to the side isn't just, I mean, the, the quality. I think even, you know, some question his age, but I think it's a pretty solid age for the keeper. There's obviously a lot of sort of similarities drawn between the signing of van der Sar. Um, I mean, this is a little different. Czech's obviously come from a season of not having played that many games. Um, but that's not really down to his quality. And I don't, I'm not convinced his quality really has dropped. Um, you know, obviously we haven't actually seen all that much of him last season. But um, I think many fans from within Chelsea will certainly attest that perhaps on purely on quality there were certainly question marks of whether Courtois deserved to be the week in week out first team goalie and a lot of that yeah. maybe comes down to just the amount of seasons he has ahead of him and, and still the, the room to improve so fantastic signing really, yeah, really let's happy. come on to check in a minute because I actually do want to have a, a pretty detailed discussion of the player but just for the moment um, you know, you touched on ruthlessness and, and Arsene Wenger being ruthless. I do agree with you that, that a keeper was needed. By the way, if you're curious, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Certainly not an important feature of this podcast, but I figured I'd mention it. Um, but, uh, Paul, as far as going for a keeper, um, do, do you think that this is sort of a sign of that ruthlessness as – James was touching on and of the two that we still have Ospina and Chesney are still at the club I'm not asking you who you think will stay who would you keep to back up check so um, I I like the the other bit of the question which was were you surprised so I was shocked we went for a keeper really um yeah and I was shocked that Abramovich said yes that I was shocked Um, about too yes I mean, I mean, there was a lot of debate on it. And I was strongly against the don't delude yourselves, guys. It did remind me, you know, he's such an evil, powerful man, at least in my, my uh, picture. Of, yep. You know Schindler's List, where Ralph Fiennes is on the balcony. He's the, the German officer in charge of the camp, and he's shooting people from the balcony. Mm-hmm. He's, he's shooting his prisoners mm-hmm. uh, off in the distance, and he's doing that for three days straight, and... And Schindler, Liam Neeson, comes up to him and says, you know, a really powerful man is a man who could shoot his prisoners, but chooses not to. And uh, this screws with Ralph Fiennes' brain for about a day or two or three before he starts saying, oh, screw it. I like shooting, shooting prisoners. Just, That's how just I hang p- on one minute there. I just want to check yeah. off Schindler's list on my post-match podcast bingo chart there okay got it okay continue <laughs> that's how i pictured the conversation between wenger and Abra- abramovich nice. you know roman a really powerful man is one who chooses to sell check when he doesn't have <laughs> not to. just a jedi mind trick this is not the goalkeeper yeah. you're looking for <laughs> yeah now he knew he had like a three-day window before roman said oh fuck it i'm not selling him mm-hmm. so he got the deal done within that time so i was amazed i what I'm, I'm not amazed that Arson would take check if, if he were available. Mm-hmm. But I was amazed we went for a goalkeeper. But if you look back over the last three seasons, we bought Ozil 
I'm not saying we didn't number, need a number 10, but it seemed it wasn't necessarily the player we were most crying out for, mm-hmm. but he was by far the best of player available at that time and Wenger went from. If you look at Sanchez, I don't think we were all saying the one player we got one position we got to fill this summer with a world-class player is uh, a wide forward. But Sanchez comes up and he wants to play for the club. Wenger goes for him. I think Czech is the same thing. Goalkeeper wasn't our biggest issue, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, but I mean, certainly it was our biggest, one of our biggest conundrums and questions. But we could have seen the the summer closed without a goalkeeper, um, and him starting with Ospina and then waiting for Chesney to get a shit. To, you know, that could have been the scenario, and that's kind of what I, I expected. But true to the last three summers. A world, worldish class. You can debate where he's at on his curve, but a worldish class, certainly a world-class uh, starter for your team in terms of everything he brings comes along, and Wenger takes him consistent with the last, well, now three summers. And mm-hmm. you, you could almost add in Cazorla, but he he never had the same profile. He might have. To me, he's right up there in terms of ability. Oh, by the way, apologies. I'm recording from a Walgreens parking lot. So Did you just, just rob the Walgreens? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are, you wearing, guys, are you wearing a balaclava? <laughs> I've, I've been chased down streets, but my commitment to the Arsenal Vision podcast, I'm going to keep recording. You will, If you switch your TVs on, you will see me going down a highway in a yeah, white, in Ford white Ford Bronco. Bronco. All right, moving on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, since so. someone's got to eventually ask the question I actually asked, I'm going to make it you, Paul. Which, <laughs> which keeper would you yeah. prefer stays to backup check? That depends on all sorts of things that we don't know, but I, I, my vote is Chesney because at least he's the right height, shape, and ability. <laughs> Mentally, there are mental questions we can't answer, but I, uh, there's no way of growing Ospina another four or five inches. Uh, I think he's a really good keeper, but I don't know he's ever a starter for the for the Premier League uh, team that looks like he should be a starter for the Premier League team. I can see Chesney, if he got his shit together, looking like a keeper for a Premier League challenging team if he got his shit together. Well, he has the connections to London. He has the connections to the club. He has a little bit more time on his side, I think. And he strikes me as the one who would be more willing to apprentice under uh, Czech, while Ospina, I think, might be the person who would rather find a regular first-team goalkeeping position and doesn't have any particular need to stay at Arsenal or in London. Um, okay. I agree with that, though. I believe the verb is to apprent. Apprend, not apprentice. To apprent. To apprent. Okay, got it. To apprend. Thank you for correcting me there. Um, I'm, I'm a native English speaker, Elliot, so we don't no, hold you to the same standard. No, I'm an American speaker. Um, yeah. So, James, uh, in your finest kings, can you now maybe expand a little bit more on what you think Czech brings to the side, both on and off the pitch? Um, I think he when you assess a goalkeeper, one of the key things is really um, how much confidence do they provide your your back line. And I think the way in which he commands his box, the leadership qualities he possesses, um, and, you know, the experience he has is just absolutely massive for the team. Um, you know, I think we can debate statistically how many more points is he going to provide us. I'm Like I said, I'm not sure if the goalkeepers we had in particular in our speed, have really conceded us that many points and would do over the course of a season. But mm-hmm. I think he's a player that in big games, um, at big points in the season, is a, is a person that anyone else in the dressing room can look towards. He's someone that at any given moment, any type of match, any scenario, I think um, you're generally going to have a lot of confidence in him having gone, you know, won the Champions League, having played a key role in that Champions League final for Chelsea. Um, I think that's huge. And I think there's actually a lot more intangible qualities that he provides um, or, you know, in that, given the qualities that he's, um, he's shown from with regards to his experience, and I think the way that he comes across in interviews, he's clearly a very intelligent man. Um, he's clearly someone that I think provides um, a massive assistance in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's a great p- person for Chesney to look up to and to be able to um, really push on in the training ground. Um, and I think it would be good for both keepers to have um, each other competing for um, for that single spot. And I wouldn't actually be surprised if um, Chesney continues uh, as perhaps the cup keeper. Um, but that would be interesting to see. But yeah, I mean, I think he, I think he has 
at, at least a couple of very good seasons in him. And I think, as Mourinho said at the beginning of the season, he, um, as he would, felt that both Courtois and Czech were the two best keepers in the Prem. Um, and I really don't think it's a stretch to say that he's in the sort of top three, top five goalkeepers in the world. So um, a fantastic asset to have. Yeah, I, I think the point is the right one that he's arriving around the time that Van der Sar arrived at United. And that really, I, I mean, I don't know if you can attribute it all to Van der Sar, but that really coincided with um, among the most successful periods in their modern history. So, you know, there, there's nothing that says we can't get four or five good seasons out of Czech. Um, let me ask you a question, Paul. Paul, this is a really important question. Are you ready for it? Yes. Um, if you had to draw a sketch or a cartoon, an artist's rendering of how this uh, transfer took place, would you draw it as a cardboard box with a stick holding it up and the cardboard box is Arsenal? And under the cardboard box is a Thomas Rosicki. And the Peter Check wants to get to the Thomas Rosicki. And when he gets to him, we knock the stick out from the box and he's trapped in Arsenal. Is that how this went down? Is there an or or is that my only option? Yeah, I just wanted the chance to say that. It sounded funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I actually uh, have yes, questions. Yes, but from a distance... Ray Fiennes shoots right. Thomas oh, yeah. Rzyski knocking over the stick. I have the weirdest okay. sense of deja vu, and it wasn't even that good the first time. Um, <laughs> so, okay, talking about Czech, just, just to sort of finish this off to some extent, um, for you, Paul, any concerns? I mean, is there any part of this that's hard for you to embrace Czech that says, you know, look, I know he's a great player, but he's a Chelsea legend. It's hard for no. me. Okay, so none of that bothers you. You think he's not he's quality. A he's a personal player now, and, and fuck no, he's always been a class guy. Of all the douches over at Chelsea, he wasn't one of them. Oh fuck no, he was always a class guy. Yes. Always stood out. Yeah. I don't think I ever said it. I might have made fun. <laughs> yeah, let me think now. In my heart, I never said a thing bad about Czech. <laughs> yeah, because I could see the tweets flooding into your timeline of all the times you said bad things about Czech. I mean, I'm sure every one of us has made one or two off-color comments about the helmet. But all I'd things being equal, I mean, do you do you see this being crucial also just for the back four? I mean, you know, we have young players like Bellerin, Gibbs, Chambers, who are all conceivably going to play, and Koscielny, who's who's still relatively young, developing player, I, I guess, sort of. How important do you think Czech's experience and organization will be for them? I think it's really big. I mean, if you look across the back four, those back five positions, and then you throw in Coquelin, who's very young, very new, very kind of, very still nervous. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I love him. He's great and everything, but Holy shit, he's only been doing for this for half a year. Yeah. He's basically the newest kid on the block. Mm -hmm. So you got six players there, and Per is great. I think that's what he brings to that back line. He brings that cam calmness. He's the North Star. But having Per and Czech, uh, I think, is huge. I think, I think I can certainly picture, especially with their personalities. I mean, they're very solid. They're very experienced. They're both six foot nine, so they can talk above everybody in the dressing room and have a nice chat wherever they are. Um, you could see an axis of those two in our defense. And I think those people, who, you know, there's a few people who still are looking for Gabrielle to take over from Per this year, and they, they like seeing that in the tea layers. I think that's a million miles away from that, what's about to happen. I think Per proved himself to everybody, including myself, when I was getting a bit dodgy on him uh, two-thirds of the way through the season, that, you know, he's still a force. Uh, we, we all know where his weaknesses are, but he has some considerable strengths and leadership, calmness, smarts, calling the shots from the back, uh, distribution. You know, those apply at, for Per, they apply for Czech. I think those two guys being on the same page, calling the shots, and you compare that to, say, Per and Ospina, or Per and an immature Chesney, um, that's a whole, you know, that's the difference between a championship-looking team and a team that would like to be a championship-looking team. Yeah, um, I, you know, I think it's interesting point you make about distribution, too, because Ospina almost always kicked long, and Chesney just kicked anywhere it, with no specific direction in mind often. Um I think having someone who is able to distribute 
and and keep some kind of balance between kicking long and, and building up from the back, I think really helps us. I think we're a team that overall would prefer to build up from the back. Check gets the ball to Murtisacker, and Murtisacker is the line-breaking passer in the back four. Let's, um, let's move off the check thing for a minute. I do think it is an absolutely massive signing, though, and it is the first time you can say we have that position properly sorted. Maybe since Seaman, I guess you could say Lehman, would would it be unfair to Lehman not to say that, although I thought there was always a little bit of a sense of calamity around Lehman or the possibility of calamity. Maybe that's just because he was crazy. Um, yeah. Can I say one quick thing, Elliot? Yeah, please. Um, isn't it, I think we're all going to say yes, so this should be a nice short, short point. Isn't it amazing that you can get a world-classish player uh, with four or five years easily uh, potentially on his contract, who you know is going to play at a top level for 11 million or whatever it is. There's a weird thing about goalkeepers, and it's it's arguably the mo- most important position on the pitch. It's you know it's right up there in terms of it's not just one of 11 positions. It's just amazing. Though, Paul, I mean, yeah. I think this is a little bit Santi Cazorla esque in terms of taking advantage of a very unique circumstance because you know De Gea is potentially going to command 40 million euro to go back to Real Madrid. I think this is a case of a keeper of the same quality as Czech was already at Chelsea. They were going to lose him if they didn't play him. By playing him, they lost the chance to hold on to their veteran. The veteran wanted to stay in London. Once he decides he wants to stay in London, well, he's not going to stay at Chelsea. He wants to play. And then it's it's really what? Spurs and Arsenal? Um you know, and that, I mean, even if that, was, even if that was a comparison, I mean, to be fair, you know, all kidding aside, Spurs have a goalkeeper, you know, a really good one. So, you know, I think Chelsea don't need the money. They just needed a fee that felt somewhat compensatory because Czech was saying, this is where I want to go. Please don't get in the way. So, you know, I think much like Santa Cazorla, where we took advantage of a financially strapped club and, and, you know, got a guy sort of under the radar at a, at a at a very cut rate, you know, cut rate fee from what he might have commanded. Otherwise, I think we did sort of something similar and and, and manipulated circumstances to bring to bring a player in affordably. And then also the whole box with Thomas Rosicki under the box and trapping check in the box with Rosicki. Um, okay, let, let's move off check just for a moment. Well, just quickly, let's also not do ourselves a disservice in the sense that as much of him wanting to stay in London was a big factor. There's no way that if we were anywhere near the level of Spurs, he would have even considered it. I mean, first of all, I think we can pro- probably assume that you, there's a good chance Yoris might leave. But even separate from that point, I think he very much bought into where this club is headed. And I, you know, if he didn't believe that this was a club where he could win trophies and play at the top of the game, I don't think he would have come here. I mean, I know I, I appreciate that his family was obviously an important part of his decision, but if he thought that we were a club that was going to remain as sort of this third, fourth place stasis and that, that's where he was going to run the rest of his career at, I reckon he would have taken the money and gone to Paris Saint-Germain and made that move because he's a player who's driven, highly motivated and wants to, see, wants to demonstrate to everyone in the world that he is at the top of the game and he is part of a, an institution, an organization that wants to do big things and is likely to do big things over the next few years, especially when he's, whilst he's at the club. Um, and I think that's a massive, massive bonus for us and I think... You know, aside from the quality he brings, aside from the leadership he brings, what's really huge about this is we've gone to Chelsea, we've gone to the, the current Premier League champions, and we said, you know what, we're gonna t- we, we're gonna take one of your players. And I appreciate that there were circumstances whereby Czech was kind of you know the second choice keeper, etc. But you know, it's a, it's a big signal. You know, we're no longer having these Man City and and Co coming and, and grabbing some of our top players. We're, we're now moving to clubs. We're going to Real Madrid. We're going to Barcelona. And I know we're, we're taking players from them that, um, again, aren't necessarily first choice. And the new manager or manager has someone else in mind. But these are players that play for those clubs. And I think it's also just great to see that we're now we're now shopping at ne- right up near the top bracket. You're not we're not, I... we're not right with the United and you know and and Co, but we're we're right up there. And I think I think that's another great component of this transfer. I love that narrative, and I totally disagree. Um, I I think you're absolutely right that we are now shopping in a totally different strata, and I think that we are absolutely gunning, no pun intended, for titles now and trophies, and I think that we are building something special. I don't think any of that factored into the Czech deal. At the end of the day, one season ago, we couldn't get fucking Demba Ba off Chelsea on a free, on a loan. I mean, 
you know, because they wouldn't they wouldn't do business with us. I think if Czech doesn't tell Abramovich I want to go to Arsenal because I want to stay in London, and if Czech wasn't someone who Abramovich felt he owed a debt of gratitude towards, we don't get the player off Chelsea at any price. They have no need to sell to us, no need for the money. This isn't Arsenal flexing its might in the transfer market. This is Arsenal leveraging a situation where a player wanted to stay in London. Now, having said that, I don't disagree with anything else you said, James. I think you're 100% right. We're shopping in a totally different stratosphere of player now. I think we are building things, but everything you said I agree with. I just think with respect to Czech, let's not fool ourselves into thinking we swaggered in there with our, you know, our cowboy boots and six oh, shooters on our hips and pointed them at uh, Chelsea and said, we're taking your goalkeeper, mister, and there ain't nothing you can do to stop us and slung him over the back of our horse and rode off. I, I mean, mean, we couldn't even get fucking Dembaba off these guys last time. <laughs> well, that's fine. That, 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 this is about to become the Czech podcast. It's heading there. Sorry. I mean, that, that isn't what I was actually saying. I, I was only saying that Czech personally only – wanted to come to us, given those aforementioned reasons. That we didn't come into Chelsea guns blazing. I mean, it was very much a circumstantial and like situational aspect that even allowed there's a signing like Czech or someone from Chelsea to even be available to us. I, so I see what you mean. That, okay. I, that I don't disagree with at all. I'm just saying the fact that You're Czech saying because he's wanted- coming into a, a good situation at Arsenal, we became a more viable destination, whereas if we were still in the poverty years of scraping fourth place, he probably just says, you know what, it's not an attractive enough destination. Correct. Exactly. Okay. I apologize for misconstruing it, but we wouldn't have had that lovely cowboy analogy <laughs> without I it. Love so, this. so it was fantastic. Um, James, let me let let's shift gears just for a minute and talk about outgoings. Um, the most notable one. I mean, I think we we all think there will be a few more. Let's talk Podolski for a minute. What's your thought on Podolski leaving? And just summarize your feelings about his time at Arsenal. Um. I mean, I'm I'm certainly not unhappy to see him go. I think he, you know, he he provided a service for us at least for those first that the first season or two that he was there. I think he was a necessary addition, but I still think looking back at it, it was slightly strange because I do get the sense that Arson and the staff and Arsenal as a whole what weren't quite aware of just what kind of attributes he brought. I thought I think they thought he might have brought something else. I could be wrong in that regard. Um, you know, given his sort of one-dimensional qualities and um, I think initially Arsenal had thought he might play him as a centre forward, but realised quickly that that wasn't a particularly viable proposition. Um, but you know, he 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 did he certainly provided um, a lot of benefit and you know attacking attacking potential going forward. And I think you know, he always I think he genuinely did love the club, and I think building that German core was certainly beneficial. Um, and you know, he's a great character. He's you know constantly he's maybe a little too active on Instagram. He's clearly a very cheery guy. <laughs> he's one of like the more preferred characters on in the dressing room. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I wish him all the best at Galatasaray. <laughs> we clearly, you know, you can see from the kind of transfer fee we were able to attain from him, he wasn't, you know, a highly um, a, a prospered after um, or desired uh, player in, in world football. Um, and I'm glad, you know, he's. I think he's someone we would probably start started to refer to as the word sort of deadwood. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I, I liked him and I think he... I think he was decent for us, but I was certainly no surprise that he uh, left the club. Yeah, I think that there's a real question of whether he was ever really a fit for our system and what we wanted to do. And as soon as it became clear that he couldn't play like Van Persie did, you know, as a as a not a false nine, but as as a center forward who drops deep to collect the ball, distributes, and then run, you know, makes those forward runs, it quickly became clear that he he was a square peg in a round hole. For you. Paul, was Podolsky a little bit Andre Arshavin, or was he more Gervinho? What I mean by that is, was he a guy who maybe was short on application, long on talent but short on application, or a guy who just never quite found his best form at the club? Well, I'll go with Arshavin for a slightly different reason in terms of the trajectory of his... Um, his career, career with yeah. us, yeah. You know, he started that. There's always, you know, what game I'm going to mention next, don't you? You know, <laughs> there was the Liverpool game, 
Yeah. And the, everybody, but there were many everybody games. has a Liverpool game. Yeah. <laughs> Even Abu Dhabi has a Liverpool game. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> we were all getting on very nicely here. Okay, all right, moving on. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the, here's the here's the the thing about Podolski for me. I think I think he was better than we remember him. I think he was better at the start than at the end. Genuinely better, and genuinely better for us, and playing better for us. And something happened over time where, because he wasn't the man, he stopped. He became a bit more Gervinho-ish. He stopped, or he be, he came. Nah, I'll stick with the R. He became a bit more Arshavenish. He lost his way. He lost his application. Um, you could say motivation. I don't think he was ever particularly a. Well, I guess he started to look like a lazy player. I think that was mainly due to not feeling. You know, not feeling lots of things, not feeling he understood, understood, not feeling he was being played in the right position from. Uh, I mean, I remember once or twice early on when he was trying out to be a center forward and he was actually I know we remember him as not being good enough and not being shit. But there were a couple of games I did the old go back and look at him a second time. And his link of play was not bad. He was and arguably, he, ironically, one of our best crossers at the club, certainly low cross. I mean, yeah. he, he put in some really good, important crosses from the left. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, I think if you take the first third of his career till, till, we, till he was put in a particular peg by Arson and used only in a particular way and he saw the writing on the wall, I don't think he... Uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt as his psych, psychiatrist. I don't think after that he could find the same motivation to run around like a, a crazy bee because he realized he, he, uh, he, his contribution to, to the team was never going to be as full, as important, as, in, as central. You know, maybe that was a bit of the Bayern Munich problem too. He went there uh, as a big fish in a small pool mm-hmm. and arrived as a small fish in a big pool. And at Arsenal... He started out as a big fish, and when he found out, and when Arson found out he couldn't fully uh, fill that role, he became less good. He became less. You know, I don't like to use the term motivated because that that's, that seems like a front brain thing where you're making a decision to care or not care. You know, I really do. I really liked the guy. I liked him then, and I, I still like him now. He's too Instagrammy. But sometimes motivation is something that you d- it's not just a question of a choice. I, I think as he saw himself being less and less important to the team, he found it harder to run around and do shit that wasn't particularly natural for him. Yeah, you know, I, I do wonder if it was not the social media age, would Podolsky have gotten a rougher ride from fans for maybe not living up to expectations, but also potentially not putting in the shift he could. But ultimately, I think... I also don't wonder... I, I, I agree with that. I also wonder if that didn't come back to bite him, though, at the end, because, uh, I mean, he was kicked out. Of the, you know, fans are great at this loyalty shit. I don't know what he ever did wrong to us, apart from the things we've just talked about. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he was... On some, uh, you know, we're, talk about fucking wiping our hands clean of this guy and, and you know... Podolsky was shit off you go, lad. <laughs> Podolsky. You know, we all get a good laugh out of him. We love loyalty again. I think he's a classic case of loyalty is a one-way street with some supporters. I think a lot of, in reality, a lot oh, of supporters actually Absolutely. Get it. I mean, they want the players to stay forever and pledge undying fealty to the club. But if you're not happy with how they're playing, you want them to fuck off out of your club as quickly as possible. Yeah. yeah, and Podolsky's done nothing wrong, and no. we've moved him on. And, you know, I don't think he's entirely happy with what Arsenal has done for his career. You know, it's a two-way street, blah, blah, blah. I know there's two sides to it. But loyalty-wise, we we took what we wanted out of Paldi, and now we're moving him along, and the fans are happy with that. And we don't bat another eyelid or, you know, when you dump somebody, you dump somebody, and we've moved on. Yeah, ultimately, you don't want to be spending that kind of wage on someone and have that profile of a player who just isn't not only not playing, but you could start to see how he would potentially not even make match day squads. And yeah. and it just it's a sensible transaction, I think, for all parties. So let's move on yeah. from that to the part of the the podcast that really gets to the, the, the heart of the matter, the substance, if you will, the real tangible discussion of 
who the fuck should we sign, picking names, making up transfer rumors, <laughs> the stuff that people really tune in here. So, James, I'll let you have the first crack at it. Um, who are we going to sign? Oof. <laughs> I hate to predict transfers, but... Um, please speculate. And, and when you do speculate, please start the sentence with, my sources in blank country tell me blank. <laughs> All right. Um, so I've heard from a groundsman at the London Colony mm-hmm. that we are uh, currently, um, you know, and I'll, I'll keep you updated over the next few days, in talks with an unknown and unquantified centre forward. Um, so I'm, I've, I've, got, I've got a strong feeling on this one, and given my expedition to Vegas, I'm in a particularly um, enticing gambling mood. And I've, I've put a large stake of money, and I recommend all listeners do the same, um, on Kareem Benzema um, arriving at Arsenal within, really? within, within the next seven days. Really? Ooh. So there you have it. All right, so let me ask uh, you. I mean, exclusive, exclusive for the podcast. That's huge. That's huge news. That's yeah. huge news. His name is yeah. James. You can find him at GoonerFanatic49 on Twitter. Um, all right, so, so James. And favorite that all across the Twitter sphere. You need to, you need to change it to GoonerFanatic49 ITK, of course. All, all kidding aside here, um, is Benzema the striker we need? Uh, I don't know. Um, honestly, what I will say is I do looking at the squad. What's tough about it is it's really difficult to to look at one position and say that we like that there is a clear um, player or a clear um, gap that needs to be filled or can be improved upon. Because I think let's do uh, let's just do this for a minute. You... Let's pretend for a minute someone on this podcast didn't rate Olivier Giroud and wanted an upgrade. Is Benzema the upgrade to that striker that that anonymous hypothetical person would want? I think, uh, yes, I think he's an upgrade. Obviously, I don't watch him closely enough. I was actually speaking to a close friend of mine who um, is a, an ardent Real Madrid fan. And um, Benzema is a player who, certainly at the beginning of the season, around world, the, the time of the World Cup, um, did receive a decent amount of criticism I was certainly on the kind of board of, is he really that much better than Olivier Giroud? Is, it, is he a little overhyped? Um, but I think this season pass has shown he's a player with a lot of quality. I think his touch and um, his ability to make those little um, one-touch passes really suits the system at Arsenal. I think if he were to come and be you know, the, the main man at a club like Arsenal under Arsenal, I think he could really turn into an excellent centre-forward. Perhaps he gets somewhat under, uh, overshadowed by um, Cristiano um, I'm sure his role would be a little bit different, and he'd be, um, you know, certainly a little bit more of the uh, the centerpiece of that front three um, at our club. Um, obviously, you've got the question marks over how well does he adjust to the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. On paper, I do believe he's an upgrade. Uh, the difficulty, obviously, is right now is is he available, and is there really any other striker out there um, that's better than Giroud and obviously and Walcott? that we can get. And I, I genuinely am of the opinion that we will do so. I think we just have to be a little more patient, maybe wait and see what Rafa um, does at Real. If he brings in, you know, there's talk of maybe bringing Ronaldo into the centre-forward position. Does that potentially mean Benzema's on the market? I don't know. I think that's where a lot of the sort of paver talk is um, is, is this from. one of those domino situations, James, where like, much like the Ozil transfer, there's there's – so many players that are talked about moving Sterling to City. Does that mean Aguero's going to Madrid? Does that mean Benzema leaves? I mean, is this a case where we're just sort of at the mercy of some of the other dominoes falling first? Yeah, I mean, maybe. But that being said, I mean, prior to Alexi, which also had a slight domino, um, was a result of the, sort of the domino effect. Suarez, and, yeah. and Mesut, none of us were really talking about either of those players. I think... Maybe with Meza, we just didn't even think that was even possible at that time. Um, I don't, yeah, I mean, maybe. Uh, but that, that's why we've got to play the waiting game, because as of right now, I just don't think there's a um, player of enough quality in a position that we require that is, um, that is available. And I, but, you know, we have to wait and see. That's, a, that's the thing. I mean, I'm sure Arsenal and the team will... Um, will definitely strengthen if they see the opportunity to do so there. I mean, if you remember the supermarket sweep that we did at the end of the transfer window a few years ago that brought us Arteta and Mertesacker, I mean, that was a time when we needed to buy just for the sake of buying, so glaring were the holes in the squad. And what I, where I completely agree with you, James, is 
there's no point in us just buying to buy right now. You know, we don't need Lee Cattermole. Like, we we only need to buy if some really exceptionally classy players become available. And those aren't players where you just wave a, you know, a transfer fee in front of the other club and they sell up. Um, the club has to be willing to sell. The player has to want to leave and come to you. The fee has to be met. The wages have to be met. I mean, these are tough, tough transfers to get done. Um, so, you know, I, I think there are dominoes that need to fall. I, obviously I would love to see a striker come in. I, Ironically, don't know if Benzema is the striker I'd like to see come in just because I think stylistically, I'm not saying necessarily in terms of quality, but stylistically he is a little Giroudian, and I would love to see someone maybe a little more explosive um, and runny, um, not runny like eggs are runny, runny like left foot, right foot, one after the other really quickly. Um, Paul, how about you? Um, what are your sources telling you? Who are we going to sign? Uh yeah, I have no fucking idea. Um, Make something. I mean, up, buddy. yeah, <laughs> just uh, like just like the pros do. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, the you know, back to the Benzema thing or Benzema, uh, Benzema. I really like Benzema. Do I, I think yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, I think he'd be really good. I think he'd be a sizable upgrade. No offense meant to anybody we have, mm-hmm. uh, and I think the runny stuff. You know, back to my old mate Theo Walcott. When we need a bit more running, I I think Benzema's pretty runny. I think he's pretty fast, especially because he's fast and big and skillful and good. Link, you know, he's kind of he's pretty much an all-round package. You know who um, isn't fast? Yeah, you do. I do. Okay. Yeah, don't say it. <laughs> don't say it. But you know who's really, really, really fast? Um, um, uh, Aubameyang. Yeah. Now, what I like about Theo is that when he plays at center forward, the beauty of it is he kind of fixes that other Sanchez issue of Sanchez getting stuck out in the wing because we're not we're not changey flowy enough. And they've got two guys marking Sanchez because they know he's our most deadly attacker. And if you look at the two goals against Villa in the FA Cup, both of them had Theo being a bit frustrated through the middle, so moving out to the right and and giving us some movement with Ramsey moving into the middle and Sanchez off to the left for the second goal. And in the first goal, Sanchez moving into the middle. You know, he's really good in the tight spaces. So I think I think we have more even than we think if Theo, if, if Theo can stay fit. I think we're better uh, in that front area if Theo stays fit and stays and plays. But Benzema would be still a top-class striker for a Premier or a league team. Do you think we will go in for another, uh, rock star quotes here, um, defensive midfielder, DM? That is, I don't know how anybody solves that conundrum. I really don't. Because if you go for a rock star DM, um, are they any more available than they were the last two or three windows where we concluded, we being Arson, that he couldn't find one? I mean, so I, I guess it depends see... if you think that uh, Schneiderlin is, A, of the quality we'd want, and B, stylistically fits the way we want our defensive midfielder to play and a I think little that's bit more problem. I, I, I think for the money he wants, he's a starter. Mm-hmm. And as a starter, he's not truly a DM. He's more of a the second the second guy the Cazorla but, but can spot. he be a more athletic Arteta style DM I mean he's never going to be a Coughlin type DM but do we need a Coughlin type DM necessarily um, I guess if they both saw his role the same way I don't I mean his stats say he can be um, I think he probably can be that DM if that's what he wants to do with his life. But uh, it has seemed that he's been evolving into, you know, he almost has the cockalam problem that Wenger described where he thinks he's a, he's a box to box midfielder mm-hmm. and it might be worse in his case. Cause it might be truer in his case. He might have that ability. And if he thinks he can get 150 K, you know, that's another issue because that doesn't fit into our pay structure except as a starter. And he'd be the by far the highest paid midfielder we had right up there with Ozilish territory. So there's a lot of issues with Schneiderlin. 
uh, if United are really after him, I mean, if we're just talking about player fit and he, that's a job he wants to do, yes, I think he can be our DM. Okay. Um, okay, so James, your, uh, your buddy at Colney, what's he say about defensive mid- midfield? James doesn't want to divulge the information. James is refusing, steadfastly refusing to divulge his information. Well, while James collects his sources... Sorry, uh, my okay. sources have just returned. Oh, your sources have returned. Okay, so so then... <laughs> I, so I was just quickly... Uh, I just quickly gave him a bit of a phone okay. call. But, oh. um... <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we, don't, we don't want to buddy in or anything, James. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't, don't let our podcast interrupt whatever tennis-related activities you're involved Us in. Us and our 4,000 viewers and listeners will fit around your schedule there, James. Yeah, Thank te- you ever so much. Technically, that's exactly Very what they do. All right, all right, so what, what's the guy at Colney say? Are we getting a DM or not? Um, he's yet to get back to you on that one. But um, I can certainly give you my opinion on that. All right, let's hear it. Um, That'll happen you know, to I think I think it's a tricky one because, first of all, you know we have to look at the fact that I do that I think Arsene believes. I mean, I I'm certainly of the opinion, given the last six months, that Coquelin is a player that has that is good enough to be you know in a in a, a Premier League winning title um, Arsenal side, um, and is a player that I think has shown you know during that albeit quite small window. Um, that he, you know, we we could probably, you know, maybe challenge in most competitions with him um, there. I mean, obviously the question is, you know, does he have even more upside potential given actually how relatively inexperienced he is? Um, do we need someone else that can change the game that against maybe smaller opposition where we uh, retain a lot of a lot of the ball? Um, do we need like a, a Schneidlin to come in? And I think, you know, arguably for one more season, Arteta can play that role. Um, I think actually, in fact, there are, we even saw, I think it was at Sunderland, when Ramsey and Cazorla both played in the middle um, with Cochrane on the bench, which was um, interesting to see. And I think Arteta could definitely play play that. The real issue comes if Cochrane is injured and we come up against one of the big sides, um, and you know we're not going to hold on to the ball as much. They've got a lot of pace, a lot of strength in the middle, and you fear that Arteta's frailties and um, you know the the weaknesses in his game could prove to be um, an issue. So, and I think one of the questions Arsenal has to assess is, you know, in a position in the DM role where, you know, you, you tend to distribute the ball pretty quickly, you tend to be the aggressor rather than be on the, the receiving end of tackles, how high of a chance is he that he's going to get injured over the course of a season? Um, I think, you know, just this is, you know, speaking theoretically, I think maybe that position you probably see that, you know, most injuries that they face tend to be that of like sort of muscle problems, um, and Coquelin, he seems on the face of it as a player who's, who's in pretty good physical nick. He didn't seem to have any issues when he came back. I think even during his loan spells where wherever he's played, I'm not sure if he's really incurred that many, um, that many injuries in his career. Um, and if he can stay fit over the course of a season while having that, that secondary option in, in Arteta, I think, I think we can prove to be absolutely fine in that position. I think ideally from Arsenal's point of view, because... With Arteta, only going to stay on for one season. Certainly, in in, in a player as as a player, um, you know, he'd ideally maybe like to have a younger sort of a Gabriel Paulista esque player in in that role. In that, someone who's clearly on the rise, someone who's very talented, um, has shown he can do it at the top level, um, but is willing to sit on the bench for a little while, learn the trade, become acclimatized to the football club, and then sort of battle it out maybe in the second half of the season truly or in, maybe even the season after with Coquelin for that position. Is that a Car- I, Carvalho type or is he too high a profile for that kind of role? I don't know. Maybe maybe it is Carvalho. I, the problem is I, I know – I just keep hearing about him being linked to us and he sounds like a, you know he did very well in the Euro, in the under-21s um, and you know seems to be touted by a lot of top clubs as, as a very strong DM. I but I, I really don't know. I've, I've honestly never even watched him play football. So um, I don't – maybe he is. He That's seems going to, to impact have... your ability to evaluate him. Indeed. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I honestly think that would probably be the ideal solution for, for us. And, and I, I think it's just about whether that player is available, um, which I – you know, maybe it is Carvalho, maybe maybe it's no one. Maybe Arsene just takes takes the punt. I I, I think we, it, we can be strong enough with Coquelin and Arteta. I appreciate that people would like a little more assurance than that, but I'm not sure if a Schneidlin is necessary. I'm not, 
I'm just not. I, it's a tough one. I, I I can't really call it. So I'm gonna have to leave us, and that's that's what he gets paid the big big bucks to do. I definitely think that that is the position he will dither on more, and that striker is the one he'll prioritize. My sources tell me we're getting Marco Royce. Um, let's leave it there. I think that was a great reintroduction to podcasting for the summer. We will try to have a few of these before the season kicks off, but of course, our regularly regularly scheduled podcast will be following. Um, the, the matches each season, which is why this is aptly titled the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. Once again, my name is Elliot Smith. You should block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I want to say thank you to Paul. You can block him on Twitter uh, at Poznan in my pants, but I certainly recommend following him instead. Paul, thank you. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks, James. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, a pleasure. And the man who has the contacts, whose contacts told him we are getting Kareem Benzema, who Woo-hoo. wants to uh, make sure that you all place a wager on that is GoonerFanatic49 on Twitter. He is James in real life. J- J- in real life. James, thank you. Thank you. Thank okay. you, Paul, too. Uh, our Good. pleasure. Now, just real quick, we're going to try to do a couple more pods this summer. And what we'll do, unless there's like some breaking transfer news, like the, the Benzema announcement, is we're going to try to do three of them and break the season up into thirds. The third before the Manchester City game, the third between the Manchester City game and Monaco game, and then the third... Uh, following the Monaco game where we went on the tear to the end of the season. I know those aren't technically thirds, but we'll kind of talk about what went right, what went wrong, how the team gelled, what the challenges were early, what went right late, and kind of wrap that up by prognosticating about what to expect um, for the season to come and and what it all means for Arsenal uh, in the minds of these two brilliant gentlemen who joined me today. So look forward to that coming up in in the coming days and weeks. Um, in the meantime, if you could be so kind as to go and give us a review on uh, iTunes or whatever podcasting place allows reviews, uh, we would be most grateful. In any event, uh, enjoy buying your Petrcheck 33 shirt. Uh, prepare to buy your Kareem Benzema number nine shirt. We do need to fill the number nine, uh, and preferably not with the next park or uh, anything like park. So. We look forward to talking to you next time. Until then, enjoy your summer. Cheers. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.